All right, and welcome to both mics. I am Mike Sofka, and that is... Mike Taylor. Welcome, that, folks. That's correct. That's correct. Both mics, this is a show about... Everything? Nothing? Nothing and everything. That's right. You win the prize today. Good job. Good job. <laughs> episode, episode, what are we up to? We up to like 15? 15. How are you today, Mike? I'm good. How are you, Mike? I am wonderful. Thank you. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. How's the beard coming along? I, I think about it nightly. That's how I grow it. I just concentrate real hard. Sometimes I do it in the darkness, just me in a room and my beard. I just sit there and concentrate. It, uh, it looks like it's, you got the darkness and then you got the, the fading here, but it looks like it's more faded down here. Yeah. What happens is it keeps breaking off. You know, you keep losing hairs, you know, and I don't know, there's only 4 million on my face or something, but I keep losing them and it look, makes it look thinner on the bottom. Yeah, well, the thinner is, is obvious. That, that's going to work. It, look, it looks gray. It looks white. Yeah, I might do, uh, might have to do one of these or something. Yeah. I don't know. Put some beads in there. No. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I know it's been a, a relatively light news week, but there's something that was funny that caught my eye here, and it's from your most, revious, most recent state of residence before Florida here. In Texas, according to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, a breakfast burrito catches TSA agents' attention. An ingredient in that, in that burrito led to, led to that person's arrest. Can you guess what the ingredient was? Let's see. A burrito. Breakfast burrito. Was One ingredient in that breakfast burrito led to this guy getting arrested. He couldn't get on the plane. Cannabis? No, crack cocaine. Hey. Very, yes, yes. I get my crack burritos all the time. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he thought this out. Get a breakfast burrito at the airport, I guess. Take some of the move the middle parts around. Take your crack and put it in the middle in a baggie, and put the rest of the burrito. Wrap it back up and send it through with your stuff. Bing bang boom, like nothing. I'm guessing a, a dog signaled on it. No, they thought it looked funny on the X-ray. Somebody actually picked it up on the X-ray. They they identified something in the burrito as being a large organic mass. And it appeared to have like tape or something around it. And that's what it was. It was like a plastic bag with black electrical tape around it inside the burrito. Yeah. Uh, I ever tell you my, uh, my banana story? Oh, oh, wait a second. I'm sorry. And I'm corrected. It was crystal meth, not crack. Uh, I, I, I don't want any at mics here over this. Right. Yeah. I hear you. Go ahead. What were you saying? I ever tell you my banana story? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, working for a supermarket, produce manager. I'm in the back, I'm doing, have my little podium, doing my paperwork, and I had a, a part-timer, his name was Joe Kerr. Nice. Joe Kerr, that was his real name. Nice. Uh, hi, Joe. And uh, so, he goes back, he goes, tell me you're pulling my leg. What are you talking about? He goes, tell me, tell me you're joking, you're, 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 you're pulling my leg, right? I go, no, no, Joe, what's going on? He goes, come here. We walk out to the aisle, and we used to, well, it wasn't bananas, it was plantain, same thing, only different. And they come in 40-pound boxes, and it's probably 80 or so of these plantains all stacked inside this box. Well, we were in a neighborhood where we went to a lot of plantains, and we had a display probably three feet wide, and we used to just dump cases of these plantains. 
all over the place, and we, we straighten them out, make them look nice, people take them away. And he, we go over to the display, he grabs the box, and he pulls it up, and he goes, tell me that's a joke. About eight inches by eight inches by two inches, brown bag, cellophane, masking tape. Wow. <laughs> and I go, no, no, definitely not a joke. Definitely not a joke. Wow. So I go, open up all the other cases, open them all up. And, uh, and sure enough, there were, there were two or three, and they were about inch, eight inches, eight inches, two, all wrapped up. Hello, 911. And of course, we're like, what should we do with it? What should we do? Like, we should, you know, we could get to a lot of money for this. And uh, it will come out, but it, you know, what are you going to do with it? You know, you have something like that. Say it's worth $10,000, and we're literally 20 miles from New York City. Am I going to go down there and say, um, heroin dealer, anyone? Is there a heroin dealer around? You know, go to 168 by the big rock. And, uh, you know, someone would rather shoot you, put a bullet in your head, take it from you, than pay you any money for it. So, it, it you know, for a, a straight-laced guy like you and me, what the frick are we going to do with it? You know, and not for nothing, but this story would have had a lot better ending had you done that. I'm just saying. Of course. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, of course, call the police. They, they come on by. They grab the stuff and they test it. And sure enough, positive for heroin. Wow. Yeah, it was it was probably a, a two pound brick and it was two or three of them. So I have no idea what the street value would have been. But Well, hang on. I'll tell you right now. One of uh, one of my many wild, strange adventures in my life. <laughs> Wait, are you googling it or? Are you yeah, I'm googling it, so this should be interesting. Are you on the dark web or like this regular Google? Hang on, I'm a regular Google. Regular Google, interesting. I think I'm on regular Google. I'm on the wrong keyboard. Hold on a second here. That depends. Is there a knock on the door? <laughs> Now I'm looking for street value, not not the dealer value. Let's see here. Well, twelve pounds of heroin had a street value of twelve million, so I would think two two pounds had a street value of two million. Wow, well, that was your chance. You hit the lottery. That you're never going to hit the lottery. You don't ever play it. That was your chance. That was it. That was 1998. 98. So it was before Sopranos, so you couldn't even call those guys. <laughs> did you know? Did you know that Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini, went to the same high school as me? See, you had it in. You had a connection right there. I had to look him up in the yearbook. Yeah, that was the icebreaker. Oh. Hey, hey, do you use an Apple or an Android? Use a, a Apple. Me, Android. Android. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Apple says they're going to start selling iPhones without the power adapters, and that will save 861,000 tons of metal. Well, no, it won't save anything. Exactly. People are still going to need them. People are still going to use them. Right? <laughs> if I buy an iPhone, and it comes with three charger adapter things, right? Eventually, I'm going to use them all. Yeah, well, well, if you think about it, what they're saying is they're going to increase their profit margin by reducing their pack size, like all the food people do. Yes, exactly. exactly. 
I, I how I don't understand. I, I get it. I get it. Sometimes, like an Android, recently the plug-in is the same. It's kind of universal, and Apple's the same way. But like every eight to ten years or so, seven to ten years, I guess they switch it up a little bit, maybe, and you have to get another one. Right. Planned obsolescence. Yeah. So this way, you know, you, you you buy the phone, and it's actually an ounce lighter, and they ship over a million of these phones from. China to the United States, and now their shipments a million ounces lighter. It, it's like the company I used to work for. They actually had a, um, a program called WeAt, WeAt and the company name. And they wanted you every year to come up with two ideas to save them money, or to save money for you, for them. And if it was profitable, they would cut you in on the action. So I came up with, with what a, a Dunkin' Donuts coffee gift card. And, uh, well, the one I the one I actually profited on, I got three hundred bucks. Okay, well that's not bad. Laying on the ground when you pick it up, yeah. Um, out of the eight years I worked there, and all the ideas I, I handed over that I had to because it was part of my job every year. Um, you know, three hundred bucks, three twenty-five, no big deal. Um, I've also had ideas stolen from me where people made thousands, but you know, what can I say? I was going to say, it probably ended up saving the company millions of dollars. You just don't know it. And, and that's the thing. They, they want you to, you know, it's saved like two minutes. So two minutes per transaction that you do. And, you know, they do thousands of transactions like this a month. And so two times thousands saves thousands of minutes, which actually costs something. And it's called optimizing your department. And oh yeah. Yeah, optimizing. So that in itself saves the company money. So they cut you, they throw you a bone. But what's weird is the my boss's boss's boss gets to collect everybody's ideas and she gets to claim it as her own idea. And that she saves the money and it has some specific name. I don't even remember off the top of my head. But you know, if your project costs a million dollars to run a year and all of a sudden you get all these ideas and on paper you're saving the company hundred here, hundred there, couple, you know, hundred thousand here, couple hundred thousand there, and you're saving 200 million or 200, uh, $2 million. Well, how can that be on paper? You're saving $2 million, but your project is only a million dollars. It, it, it's, it's very bizarre how they, how they work that. Well, I, I give them credit. I mean, they're they're doing the right thing, it sounds like. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. Now, did you have to? Was it a requirement that you had to do this? Yeah. It, it, and it, the funny thing is, it was one and a half ideas a year. So did you make them come back for the second half of the second one? or? Well, and the thing is, is I guess it's one of those check marks they put on your annual review. And I've done it where I've done one, I've done two, I've done three. It never made a difference. What, what, what you do on the half one, like you give me your idea, and then on the one that's in half, you say, I know a way we can save $2 million. Tell you next year on the other half. <laughs> pay, me, pay me now, and I'll tell you yes. <laughs> i tell you, though, good company, though, as – as much as you want to bitch about working nine to five, it was actually a really good company um, in, in comparison to the company I work for now. It's a, it, the company I work for now is the same exact type of company. And 
it's just it, it's like the uh, the you know the, the redheaded stepchild of of the other company. <laughs> I, I just don't get it. You know, nice. The remote working thing. I don't know. It's just it seems like it's it's there's flying by the seat of their pants. Whatever. Wow. I got paid yesterday, so that's all that counts. Okay. I'm sure all the people that you work with are watching and listening and now have a different view. Yeah, speaking of $2 million, $2 million was in the news today. A judge has ordered in a class action lawsuit hundreds of fry, I'm sorry, fire, F-I-R-E, but it's spelled F-Y-R-E, Fire Festival ticket holders, they're poised to win the payout in the class action lawsuit. Do you, do you remember this story? I remember hearing it on another podcast, and they, they went into detail about this. This guy had a racket going. Actually, no, I saw a documentary on it. I saw a documentary on, like, uh, Amazon Prime, something. Yeah, I think it was Prime. It might have been the other one with an N, Netflix. But, uh, yeah, it, it was... It was interesting for sure. The, the racket they had, and they had, it, I don't know if it was a it, very close to a Ponzi scheme or something, but they had people hanging on to the last minute, and it, then it just never happened. You know, it was supposed to be like the concert event, you know, to, to compare to the US Festival in Woodstock. Well, and, uh, according to this thing here on NPR of all places, uh, yeah, right. This guy, McFarlane, Billy McFarlane, who's gone to jail already over this. Apparently, what this was, and and this is a quote from NPR, he had hawked a life-changing paradisical, there's a good word for you, paradisical music festival for well-heeled patrons to attend to take place in the Bahamas in late April and early May 2017. Instead, the festival, which carried ticket prices of up to $12,000 a piece, collapsed in chaos, launching a parade of dumpster fire jokes <laughs> and social media commentary as hopeful festival goers and vendors alike realized that they had been built. Apparently, some of these people had already, I, some people didn't find out until they got to the Bahamas. They flew there and let alone first class accommodations and all this. They had nothing. They didn't even have the basic needs. They didn't have a room. They didn't have food. They didn't have nothing. Yeah, well, Can you imagine? And on top of that, the island that they had it on did not have commercial flights going to it. So they yeah. had like Nassau and then like puddle jump to like, you know, nowhere key. And, you know, this guy, he was setting things up, but it, they just couldn't, they couldn't get it done on time, you know? It was it was a mess. I'm just I'm just ashamed I didn't think of it. <laughs> you, you have an affection for, for going to jail? No, no, I'm just kidding. Or, or just, you actually made some money on it or something. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool though to have a, to host a festival or do a festival or have a festival. I don't I don't know if those days are coming back. There, I've seen festival tickets on sale, music festivals and so forth, but I haven't. I, you know, I, I, until I see that actually happen, and I'm not going to believe it. Well, I have the Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joe Jet tickets. Uh, I had Orlando ones. I sold them because they put a San Antonio show on. So I bought San Antonio ones, and then we moved, and I refunded on those. And then actually tomorrow we're going to um, 
the, the naval base here and they have a ticket ticket tron ticket master outlet thing there and i guess they do discounts of some sort so uh we're going to try to get our jacksonville tickets then oh wow yeah yeah well, well that sounds good yeah i just I, I i had some opportunities to pick up some other tickets um in for an august show and then for an october show and i i just I don't trust anything still right now. There's a lot of open-ended stuff going on and I know how it should be, but how it is, is not how it should be. And it's just, it's really upsetting because you know me, I like going to shows. I like going to live music, whether it's a small club, a large festival, whatever. That's what I like to do. Yeah. Uh, my last show was Slaughter on the Monsters Rock Cruise, April, uh, April, February 13th, 2020. You know, and that was that was like a show at eleven o'clock at night. One of one of probably thirty shows I saw in five days. So, well, hopefully we'll be back to some semblance of what I consider normal. Hey, we have uh, friends of ours that live in Seattle, and apparently there's it's a big deal. I didn't check the weather. I'm 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 probably not going to do it now, but they say it could reach eighty degrees this weekend, and I'm like. Okay, that that was a headline. <laughs> Seattle could reach 80 degrees this weekend. It goes on in the rest of the headline to say, with the Lyrid meteor shower viewing opportunity. I don't see how temperature has to do with you seeing this meteor shower, but they're calling that unseasonably warm conditions in that region. Yeah. I, for August, it's unseasonably. <laughs> I just take it for granted, I guess, that it's April and I'm, you know, I've been walking around since last April in shorts and a t-shirt. I don't, is it really that cold everywhere else? I'm spoiled. Yeah, no, dude, really? Come on. Have you ever got, what was the last time you got out of the shower and you were like, I couldn't tell you. Cold. Yeah. Um, you go for, you go for months like that up north. It's just, it's horrible. You know, the national weather service says Seattle is currently predicting that um, today, uh, this day, they were going to reach 70 for the first time this year. Again, I, it's not not news to me, but... Hey, did you hear this? Russia's going back to the moon. Really? Where'd they get that idea from? I don't know. Something called Luna 25 is scheduled to launch this October, ending their 45-year drought on Russian moon landings. They're probably going up there to take our flag down and put their flag in there. Yeah, right. Um, now, are they, is it a manned space flight? Not at first, I don't think, but that's part of the process. They are going to send men to the moon. Uh, let me be politically correct. Human beings to the moon. flag obviously is up there and they have to obviously put a stick out to the side so it, it stays you know flying or flowing or so it appears to be flowing and they got the shadowing right on you know when they did that post-production imaging in the universal studios of hollywood it, the shadows are good <laughs> but um it's my understanding that the the flag since it has like no uv protection it's probably completely white by now you know, all the, all the, the sun rays have just faded out all the colors. That's racist. 
sorry. Send your emails too. Yes. Yes. Well, here, he, here's the thing, you know, and, and I said this jokingly before, because, you know, part of me still believes that we didn't make it to the moon and we didn't get there, but part of me really does. Um, the part of me that doesn't is because I visited the place. It's a place in New Mexico. It's a state park area that they claim that the moon landing was filmed there. But most recently I did see a documentary somewhere clicking around about the moon landing thing. And they were saying that Stanley Kubrick directed the moon landing. And he is the sole possessor of one of three cameras. Like he's the only guy who's not the government head NASA film department people that had these special cameras. And if you remember, Kurt, well, you and I don't remember, we're only a couple years old, but at around that same time, just after the moon landing, and I'm using air quotes here, the movie that he did, 2001 Space Odyssey, came out. Yeah. And there's some duality there. And it was NASA knowing he was working on a project like that and more or less giving him this super camera for this type of filming that they're doing. And then he, in exchange, he would do that and he would get this camera and then he can make 2001 Space Odyssey. I'll have to come a little little uh, stronger next time with some more information about that i didn't have that plan for today it just popped in my head but i mean if you think about it do you, do you think it's plausible that we did not go to the moon or do you think it's absolutely 100 percent no denying we went it's, it's plausible you know yeah to say 100 percent, no you, you would actually have to be there to say 100 percent. right well we're dealing with the we're dealing with the government we're dealing with governments yeah so crazy Crazy stuff. I guess we're going to have to learn Russia because, you know, they're saying that we're going to put a base on the moon and use that as another launch pad to like go to Mars or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's the understanding. And then there's some uh, backline audio of some of the astronauts relaying to Houston or space Command, whatever, a control, launch control, whatever they call it. Um, mission control. There's some some uh, backline audio where the astronauts are speaking about they're here, they're just over the Who's there? Who? Supposedly there's audio of them talking about other beings or uh, seeing UFOs and so forth. So I'm still, I still think there's more to the whole story, whether, whether if we did go to the moon, I think there's more to the story. There's something going on. I don't think there's reason to go to the moon after we were just there 45 years ago. If there was something if there was something so important that we needed to be at the moon, we would have been back already. Right. And that's my thought too. Like why now? But you know, the, the whole launch pad thing to, to Mars is that's a possibility, but why now? Why not 20 years ago? You know, what, what makes it so important to go there now? You know, if, if we were able to do it in 1968, you know, 1969, you know, why all this other stuff in between? I don't know, but it's funny we're talking about launch pads because SpaceX is set to build a huge launch tower, and this is going to be in Europe somewhere. They haven't announced the final thing. They say it's in mainland Europe. It's going to be a, a launch pad. I don't understand all the ins and outs in it, but it's part, part has to do with their Starship launch system. So they've received, SpaceX has received approval from the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, to go forward with the construction. 
So I guess they passed all the clearinghouse stages and now it's just a matter of putting it in. You know, they won't probably announce everything till it's done. I'm sure somewhere in Europe, they know what's going on. They're all excited over there. Yeah, it's odd because I thought um, I thought that most of that stuff was happening here. Yeah, I, I don't know what the advantage would be to do it there. But I guess there's something. Well, I guess the thought is, is it's a big globe and, you know, it's, it's almost like, a, did you ever jump the carousel when you were a kid at the carnival or whatever, jump on a ride? Yeah. If you're coming back, it's the same thing, I guess. The earth is spinning and moving and you can't stop and wait for the next go round. You're coming in. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. So maybe having a place in Europe, you know, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's part of the globalization of the space industry too. Speaking of space industry, there's good news for when we do send astronauts to Mars. This is according to the Daily Mail. Astronauts who died during Mars mission could be buried on the red planet, sent to an eternal orbit around its atmosphere, or eaten by crew members. What? Yes. They're, they're, just, they're saying that this is a possibility. So is this going to be on your job application? Are you okay with cannibalism? I, <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we need to have a meeting. And um, yeah, if one of you goes, you know, uh, I, I go for the thigh. I get the thigh. It, yeah. And, and And you know the thing I like about about this whole mission to Mars and everything. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk once said, if you want to go to Mars, prepare to die. What? It's not exactly a, uh, you know, oh, I want to apply to be an astronaut to go on that. It's, you know, I don't get it. Prepare to die. Why would you say that? Is he protecting himself from a lawsuit? Probably, you know, and you know, it's obvious that he's not going to die going to Mars. You know, he's just going to foot the bill. <laughs> if a crew member dies while making the more than 170 million mile journey to Mars, the body can be placed in cold storage or freeze dried until the craft touches down. Freeze drying. Remember, they used to have freeze dried, freeze dried coffee. This Folgers crystals used to come in a little thing. Yeah. Grandma used to drink Taster's Choice. Yeah, Taster's Choice. That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I just, I don't understand that that's an option. That's only, you always see that like in the movies where they're stuck on a mountain somewhere and it's cold and they're going to be up there like they can't walk down or whatever and they're going to eat the guy who just died. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess, I don't know. You know, when, when it comes to life or death, it, 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 you know, I guess all the rules change. You know, they all go out the window. Uh, civil, you know, being civilized just doesn't matter. You know, it's all a matter of, of staying alive and anything you can do to do that. So, if you're from a if you're from a country that, um, without trying to label anybody, trying to be general here, but let's say you're from a country that their food usually utilizes hot sauce. Does that mean if you have to eat that astronaut, he's a little bit spicier than the other ones? <laughs> Don't, we're heading down a dangerous path here you know, it, 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 you know there, there's people that like to eat a lot of curry you know? there you go <laughs> and you can tell when they walk by like okay hey that particular person 
just had curry. <laughs> when uh, when Brenda and I got back together, uh, she was she was taking garlic pills. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it would get towards the end of the day, and like the garlic would be coming like out of her paws, and it, it was like it, it was bad. I'm like, I, I, I finally had to say something to her, you know. And it's not like you know here we are ten years later. But it was just like in the, the beginning process of getting back together. And it was like, what's up? And yeah, she, she go, oh, I, I take garlic pills. Mama, maybe it's that. Like, damn it, I hope so. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because um, maybe a year ago or so, I picked up somewhere that eating garlic so many times, you know, like so, a certain portion each day is good for you with inflammation and pain and all these other things. And I started doing it and I thought maybe I'm getting somewhere. I don't know. And I was doing it like every day I was eat and part of my Eastern European heritage that, you know, that at big festival parties and gatherings and so forth, garlic is an option just by itself, the garlic cloves. So I was doing the same thing. I was actually eating the raw garlic or the roasted garlic. And I had all these different ways to prepare it. And Lisa did the same thing. She had to say something. She was like, yeah, this ain't working for me. It may, it may be working for you. <laughs> yeah. I had no vampires around me though. The whole time. That was a wonderful thing. That's good. That's good. No goth chicks hanging out at the house anymore. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> nice. nice. So, um, did you ever watch that uh, cartoon TV show, or at least are you aware of it, South Park? Yeah, of course. First episode I ever saw was the, uh, you know, flipping through the channels. I see this cartoon, and I see this little piece of poo <laughs> singing Christmas carols. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Yeah. Well, they know. have an episode, or a couple episodes, where they refer to uh alien invaders as crab people and they live underneath the surface of the earth and they're really controlling stuff and they're controlling people in disguise and they're crab people and they look like crabs well there must be something to that because we're getting giant radio pulses and x-ray surges coming from the crab nebula <laughs> is that where crab people come from is my first question the crab nebula 600 and Six, excuse me, 6,500 light years away in the Taurus constellation. Oh, interesting. interesting. Now, is that crab with a C or a K? C. A C, huh? Well, if it was with a K, it would be imitation crab, I guess. <laughs> you know, you ever read the ingredients on that stuff? It's like yeah. fish parts, water, and I'm like, fish parts? What's a fish part? Sawdust. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I this. consider eating it, so I wouldn't even consider reading what's in it. Don't matter. Doesn't care. Don't care. It's a pulsar, and it's a star that spins 30 times a second and is considered to be one of the brightest pulsars emitting light in X-rays and radio wavelengths that's visible in our sky. When those beams of light sweep by Earth, scientists can catalog those pulses and determine whether it's a pulsar or not. Yada, yada. They've discovered there's some, some sort of something coming out of that nebula, so... I don't know. Maybe it's the crab people. You know, the guy from The Simpsons was telling telling uh, futuristic stories a long time ago. When stuff came true. Maybe uh, South Park is the same way with the crab people. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen South Park in, in years. You know. By the way, it's only, again, six light years away. And a light year is six trillion miles. So it's 
36 trillion miles from here. Wow. It's right around a corner. Now, if you're, you're driving in a car and you're going the speed of light, you turn your headlights on, do they, do they shine? I don't think so. I think they stay with you. That's, a, that's like my other thing. You know, a lot of times if you're in an airplane, airplanes go, what, four, five, six, seven hundred miles an hour? If you're in first class and you jump in the air, will you fly back to the rear? I don't know. I can tell you the answer if you want it or you want to guess. I know the answer. I'm guessing it's no because you're in a you're in a sealed container and you know the the force of friction in the air is not you know with you. Ding ding ding! You're traveling at the same speed as the plane. That's cool. But in in theory, though, it makes sense, doesn't it? That if you jumped in the air. Now here's the thing: you're in a in an airplane. Can you run faster to the back of the airplane than you can to the front of the airplane? See, that that would make sense to me as well. well. If you're running from the back of the plane to the front of the plane and the plane is going 400 miles an hour and you're running five miles an hour, are you really running 500, 405 miles an hour? That's pretty fast. I think you can get an NFL contract like that. Right? Yeah, no. It ain't happening. <laughs> it ain't happening. <laughs> Sure, this thing about the uh, Kristen Smart case. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Smart, yeah. Was she kidnapped? Is that one of the kidnapping girls? Yeah, something in uh, California. A guy who's a podcaster led the cops to the arrest in California in a cold case killing. He has a podcast. This cat, Chris Lambert as a podcast and he focuses on these things he focuses on cold cases and he interviews possible suspects witnesses what have you affiliated with these cold cases and so, sometimes they're not even public so i don't know how he's doing this or what he's doing but i think it said recently here let me try to find it here oh here his eight-part series, Your Own Backyard, has 7.5 million downloads just on Thursday. It was the number two podcast on iTunes. Number one being Rogan? I guess, but I'm thinking we need to go down to the sheriff's office and say, hey, give me all your stuff you can't figure out. We're going to work on this. <laughs> and I'd like to get 7.5 million downloads. That would be pretty cool. That would work. Yeah, it would, it would possibly be the rent. He asked why he did it. He said it was driving him insane. He would drive by and see the billboards about these cases. He would, you know, read about these things in the papers. This is a guy who's 33, was just eight years old when his Kristen Smart vanished. Okay. I'm trying to think. I know the last name Smart. Something else is up with that. I don't know. But she was, she was kidnapped and killed? I guess so, yeah. Brenda watches a lot of those 48 hours and CSIs and forensic files. It drives me nuts. I try not to, I try to stay away from hour long programs. You know, I got, I got things to do. I got stuff to do. Yeah, I get it. I, it, I used to be like that. I used to like some of those shows occasionally, but they, they're all the same. It's the same format, you know, and I, I, I get it, you know, that's, that's the formula. That's what works, you know, don't change it. But it just feels like I'm always watching the same show, you know, the same thing. Oh, he was the nicest neighbor. I would have never thought that. Well, duh. <laughs> she says she likes to, to watch it because she, she wants to see if she can figure it out before the end of the show. 
because usually they'll, they'll go in one direction and they'll zag another way and they'll go back this way and oh it was the butler you know and she said she likes to, to figure it out beforehand Maybe she's trying to get some ideas on how to get away with something. Yeah, no, better be careful, Mike. But we've been watching lately, and uh, I don't know how I mistakenly came across this show called Bar Rescue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been on for like eight years. Yeah. What? Like four months ago, we found it. So we like we DVR'd, and like we'll watch one every night. And uh, they did um, in Florida, Edgewater, the No Name Saloon. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've seen uh, Vince Neil there once. It's right on one or A1A, one of those, but like right, you know, right on Edgewater. And it was a, it was a dive bar, biker bar band, and they Vince Neil was in there as a customer or performer. He was a performer. We went during Bike Week one year, uh, one year ago, <laughs> and uh, they did um. A place in Sanford too, so kind of kind of cool. Oh, they did a place in Davenport also, right by my mom's house. And I like googling, you know, seeing if the place is still in business. Yeah. I like the um, the guy, the chef guy, the guy that's always yelling with the English accent. It's uh, raw. It's booty raw. What's that guy? Um, now I'm gonna have to Google it again. Again? Yeah, because it's gonna bother me. They get the, the chef with the blue hair too. He's kind of kind of. Gordon Ramsay, that's the guy I'm thinking Gordon of. Ramsay, I'm like, Gordon Ramsay's not on Bar Rescue. No, he he had a show similar to that. He would visit these mom and pop restaurants, and in 24 hours or in two days or three days, he would turn them around. Usually, mom and pop are the owner operator, and they don't do it well, or they're set in their ways, or the staff is stealing and there's moldy food in the back and there's rats or all, you know, there's all sorts of problems. And then when he leaves, he gives them a redesigned menu, a fresh shot of energy somehow, some way. And overnight he redecorates the whole place, like takes everything out and puts all brand new crap in this place overnight. He has like 20 people come in and start bringing stuff in. It's, it's pretty amazing the transformations and the saving these businesses. Cause these mom and pop businesses, especially before the pandemic, I mean that—that's what they did. That's their livelihood. That's how they eat. That's how they eat. You know, so it just—it grossed me out at times because I'm like, wow, maybe I shouldn't go to those type places. You know, I try to go off the beaten path and try to visit mom and pop type establishments, especially if I'm on the road somewhere. Yeah. But if that's what they look like in the back, I don't know if I'm going to do that anymore. Same, same formula with the, the bar rescue and and. God, we've probably seen 50 of them so far, and it's the same formula. Come in, you guys suck, yell at you, turn you guys around, we're best friends, remodel, grand opening, brand new, everything's cool, sales are up 20%, and then I like I like to see what they do afterwards. Some will change the name back if he's changing. Yeah. They'll change, they'll change the name back, um, and a lot of places will be out of business. There, there was one guy that fought tooth and nail with him so much and like after the reveal the what was the guy's name john taffer he would he like just forget it i'm out of here and he just did the, the you know did the reveal he left and three days later the guy closed the restaurant restaurant slash bar just closed it three days later you know walked away crazy still empty wow it just it bothers me that 
because you and I have been in the food industry and, and it bothers me that someone would have a place that, I mean, it's just so irresponsible to have that type of situation in your, in your restaurant. I don't see how, I mean, you do, you do a handful of things. You manage by wandering around. If you're a restaurant manager of any, of any consequence, you check the coolers, the walk-ins, the dry food, you're, you're constantly checking, touching, tasting, you're all over it. I don't understand how, I guess you're you're in that same confined space and you're you're there working with three other people and you're like you're the you're the business. I guess you can have a bad day, but the stuff I'm talking about is been bad for a while. Well, and a lot of these people will be drinking and you know, and they'll be permissive and they'll let their bartenders drink, crap like that. And and that's that's it, you know. He'll come in and he'll weigh the bottles over the weekend and he has a, a, a particular system he uses. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, over this weekend, you lost $2,500. And that was like a reasonable number that they would lose on a weekend. So, you know, people are wondering why they're losing four grand a month or they're, you know, they're paying out of their pocket four grand a month and they're losing $2,500 on a weekend. You know, you know back in the uh, early 90s, I was uh, with a restaurant chain. I'll just say there's, it's a chain. And part of my gig there was to open open the stores and when i was at a certain store here or there um i would stay for a while you know up to six months a year whatever sometimes i was i was just there just for the opening sometimes for the month or what have you but the thing i remember is i remember my bartenders i always asked of them because you could tell who the regulars were, you know, even when you got a new place, you could tell who the regulars are. They just start showing up, you know, and they have their same seats and all that stuff at the bar. And my rule was simple. Every regular gets their first round on us. It's free. And you still need to keep your liquor cost in line. So I don't care. You still need to figure out how to keep it in line, but you're going to treat those right reg- because that's your bread and butter at the bar. You know, you ever walk into some of these places and there's nobody in the bar and you're like, what's wrong with this place? The first thing you see is an empty bar. Even all the tables may be full, but it's an empty bar. And I'm like, there's something wrong here. You know, I when I walk in and I see the bar, I expect to see a vibrant place. I expect to see people. I expect to see a good time. Give out free drinks to your regulars. That's how you fill your bar. What if, you're, what if your regulars are, are trash? Well, I, it wasn't that type of place, but I understand what you're saying if it was a it was priced accordingly so that certain people wouldn't come there all the time. Like people that are there to shoot pool and raise hell and their wife broke up with them. And not that there's anything wrong with those things. I'm just saying, you know, these aren't your normal restaurant people who go out to sit at the bar for an hour or so, a couple hours. I'm talking about people that are there, people that come every day, people that help you turn the lights on. If you don't take care of your regular customer, like for instance, we got people listening in Canada right now. I brought up Canada last week to the best of my ability. I don't have the Toronto news station on here or anything, but, and then we know people in Seattle. I've snuck into Seattle. So you got to take care of your people, man. You got to take care of your, you even got to take care of the people you work with. Remember, remember we used to have a giant appetizer in the Bomba hut once a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? And people are like, what's a Bomba hut? <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, is it is it our friend in Seattle? Yes. Oh, hey, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> Congrats on the new place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Anyway, you got something for me today? Not really, man. Not much going on. Like I said, it, I, I looked around to see what kind of stuff was going on. You know, nothing, nothing exciting for the weekend. You know, we did, uh, we did Brenda's second vaccine on Saturday. I did mine last night, and uh, that's all taken care of. So that's that's the excitement for the week. Yeah, we went and went out to dinner last night. The kids raised hell throwing freaking macaroni and cheese everywhere and uh yeah not much happening at the taylor household we cut the grass today nice now, so. well i got some i got some quick trivia for you if you want that i'm always up for trivia it's motley crew trivia too i figured you'd enjoy that <laughs> which two members of motley crew went to the same high school Vince and Tommy. When Vince ran away from home, he went to Tommy's house and lived there for a while. Oh, wait a second. This is one of those things where I have to plug in all the answers, and then they're going to tell me how I did afterwards. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. All right. Let's do that. Let's do this. All right. Which two members formed Motley Crue? Uh, it was Nikki and, uh, and Tommy. Which band member suggested Motley Crue as a band name? Which is the first album by Motley Crue produced by Bob Rock? Uh, the first one produced by Bob Rock was uh, Dr. Feelgood. All right. I don't know whether this is a good job yet or not. I don't know. <laughs> I can give you a little, little preamble, too, about, about each question. Like, uh, Mick Morris came up with, with Motley Crue. When he was in a previous band, he was hanging out with a bunch of guys drinking beer, and someone walked in and goes, this is a Motley-looking crew. Nice. And uh, they came up with the, the little umlauts on top of the O and the U and Motley and Crew when they were uh, drinking Lowenbrow. And they said, yeah, those are kind of cool. Nice. And, uh, of course, it changes the entire pronunciation of Motley Crew to, to something that you wouldn't recognize, but it, it looks cool. You know, there's a story similar to that with Cheap Trick because apparently in that Wisconsin, Illinois area, when they were first starting out, they got a little raucous and – you know, they play in a place with real low ceiling tiles and Rick would knock them out and stuff like that. And the, the crowd was a bit raucous and uh, they would never be invited back to the same place. So they kept changing their name wow, okay. and they kept changing their name, but the fans still knew what was going on. So they would show up anyway, you know, and one day there was somebody else who hadn't seen the band before and said, I don't know who these guys are, but they're using every cheap trick in the book. And there you go. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Who replaced Vince Neil after he departed from the band in 1991? John Karabi. Yes, sir. Which famous celebrity has not been linked to Tommy Lee? Pink, Heather Locklear, Pam Anderson, or Heather Thomas? Yeah, I'm doing that too, just with the age difference there, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, Heather, it might be Heather Thomas, but there could be a connection with Pink's husband and Tommy. So they're, I don't know. But All right. Yeah. So if you're listening to this on any service, Apple or Podbean or Anchor or any one of our affiliate places, we're everywhere. We're, we're wherever you find stuff. Like this is, 
Yes, this is the part on the video. You're going to want to seek out the video because I'm going to show the Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee video during this part. Yeah. So just make sure you go check out the video too, okay? All right. Name Nikki Six's side project. Which one? Brides of Destruction, Chrome, Supernova, or Union? Well, Union would be John Karabi. Supernova is Tommy Lee, and it's, uh, it's Brides of Destruction. Which also had John Karabi in it. And wow. Yeah, Tracy Guns. All right, we're going to check the answers here in a second when we're done here. Which member of the crew was the first to enter rehab during the 1980s? Uh, I think he had no choice. He freaking died. I'm, I'm guessing it would be Nikki. No, hold on. It was, it was Vince. All right. All right. What month and year was the original Too Fast for Love album released? Uh, no, but there is 381 choices. The four choices are October 81, November 81, December 81, and January 82. All right, let's go with the earliest. October. What record label originally released Too Fast for Love? Leather, that's with a U-R at the end, Electra, Motley Records, or Warner Brothers? It was Leather Records. Re-released by... Uh, Electric and re release again. All right, I believe it. I believe it. Slow down there. We're halfway through here. We're going to steam through these here and we're going to pop up the answers here. In the early 1980s, which band member spit blood? <laughs> I'm looking for Gene Simmons. He's not an option. <laughs> yeah. Nikki did it in the, the Carnival of Sins tour. All right. So I'm going to guess Nikki Six. All right. In the early 1980s, which band member was set on fire during shows? Again, I'm looking for Gene Simmons here. <laughs> Nikki. That one I know for sure. Nikki? Yep. All right. What is the name of Motley's autobiography? These are too easy for you. What Beatles song did the crew cover for their Shout at the Devil album? Alter Skelter. Mm-hmm. What hair bands feature what hair bands video featured a cameo of Nikki and Tommy dressed as police officers? Was it rat, Dawkin, White Snake, or Poison? Rat. Vince Neal had a public feud with which lead singer? David Lee Roth, Ozzy Osbourne, Axel Rose, or David Coverdale? Axel Rose. Really? Right. Which celebrity is not linked to Nikki Six? Demi Moore, Vanity, Donna DeErico, or Shannon Tweed? Um, what was the first one? Demi Moore. <sighs> Shannon Tweed. Yeah, that's who I would have went to because isn't she married to Gene Simmons for a long time? Yeah, or together with him? She was a Playboy playmate, and they've been, you know, then I realized that they were together for a real long time. Yeah, she's like one of those uh, B-list actresses, the top of the B-list maybe, or the, the movies that used to go straight to cable. Yeah, bottom of the B-list. Number 18 of 20 here, and then we're going to check out these answers on the crew trivia. What did the crew name their backup singers during the late 1980s and early 90s? Was it the Cruettes? Nasty Habits, Rattlesnake Shake, or Motley Mavens? The Nasty Habits. One of them ended up marrying Mick Mars. 
Which band member was referred to as Cousin It from the Adams Family? Mick Mars. His real name was Robert Allen Deal or Bob Allen Deal. Initials bad. All right, and the last question. Aerosmith's Dude Looks Like a Lady was written about which crew member? Vince. All right, now I'm going to click to submit answers here. and We're going to find out the answers to this. 85%, 17 out of 20. The ones you got wrong, which celebrity has not been linked to Tommy Lee? Pink has been linked to Tommy Lee with Heather Thomas. Okay. Well, that was my first choice, and I second-guessed myself. Right. And number nine, what month and year was the original Too Fast for Love album? It was November. You were off by a month, but, I mean, it is what it is there. You said the earliest, and then you said October. I'm like, oh, I thought it was November. Yeah. No, I hear you. In the early 1980s, which band member spit blood? It was Mick Mars, not Nikki Six. If you if you play it back, I changed my answer after I said I said Nikki. I did say no, 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 Mick. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. All right. Well, 18 out of 20. That's still pretty good. That's 90 percent. I should have done them all. Should have gotten them all. But yeah, now that one with with pink. Yeah. Maybe it happened then. Who knows? So I see you're donning your Monsters of Rock shirt. Which show was that for? Which which ship? What what year? All right, this was 2019. So it was like the I think the Mariner of the Seas, and uh, I was uh, God. You can see the back. Kinda. Who's uh who was there? But uh I know that, that Danger Danger was there. They're from New Jersey. Um and, and Steve Brown, who is the guitar player for Trickster, was uh playing guitar for Danger Danger. We got our picture. We got off the boat in uh, Ocho Rios and they had the, this little stand with the life preserver and it says Mariner of the Seas on it. And uh we're walking out there and Steve Brown walks by. I'm like, hey Steve, it's like what? Like, we did a picture? And you know how like the people on the boat take your picture. So we got behind the thing. We're like, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll post that picture on, uh, on the, uh, folk Mike's Facebook page. So it was good. It was a good show. God. Oh. So, you know how we, we've talked about Bucky's in the past year, Lisa has run out of town here, uh, on a short visit up to the ATL and, Apparently, there's a Bucky's there, and she was slated to stop there this afternoon. I'm expecting a full report. <laughs> well, cool. She drove? Yeah, yeah. She prefers to drive up there. Because by the time you go to the airport, we're an hour and a half from the airport. By the time you have to be at the airport two hours early. Right. I, I mean, for her, her destination is south of Atlanta. So it's probably just a little more than six hours. Then- so renting of a car and whatnot no she just takes her car she doesn't oh, she, she, she flew right oh yeah 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 well no she'd have somebody pick her up and you know i prefer she fly but you know i don't like the uh the difference in the in the time there's not as much savings to me unless you're getting like a hundred hour flight or something stupid like that i mean 
but I want to be the guy that shows up to Bucky's where they have 104 gas pumps. And I want to walk in with two hours in my hand and I'm going to hand drop it on the counter, cut in line, leave it on the counter and go, I'm in the gray car and walk out. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's put it this way. Gas is like 30 cents cheaper a gallon there. I was surprised. It's it like 258 the other day. Well, it's funny. I ran. I ran into somebody in a in a business transaction, a legal business transaction. Don't get your hopes up. Don't at me. Um, and and the I was selling something, and it was legal. And I met the guy up the street. I don't let anybody come to my house when I do stuff like that. So I met met him up the street, and he had a, a autistic child with him. And the kid was nuts over Bucky's because they came from Daytona for this. So uh, he's like, oh, we went to Bucky's and he's showing me he's got a Bucky's blanket and he's got a Bucky's doll and all this stuff. And the kid, the kid, kid must have been like 12 years old, was raving. about. I'm thinking about me. I don't think at 12 years old, I was raving about the grandma's pantry convenience store I went to, you know? Yeah, no, my uh, my three year old is beside himself. We go buy it every day, you know, and, uh, and he loves it. Got sarsaparilla soda. Which is smart marketing. That's what McDonald's did. McDonald's did a study and McDonald's is one of the leaders in this in the restaurant industry. Uh, somewhere between 60 and 80%. I don't know the exact number. I don't remember it exactly, but 60 to 80% of the families that have kids, the kids decide where the family eats, not the adults. Yep. So there's something to that. Yeah. And I would say probably half of the time, you know, and uh, you know, maybe less than that because he's, he's three, and it was the two of them. Maybe they'd gang up on us. But uh, Michael, Michael, Xander has a uh, an infatuation with Whataburger. You know, the orange and white and everything. And all right, I've eaten there twice in the past three weeks because he's like, I want to go to Whataburger. You know? That's perfect. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. You know, and, and it's not around the corner. It's about twenty miles away. You know, we're kind of in that direction anyway. It's worth it. Yeah, good stuff. Good deal. So hopefully there's going to be some beach weather coming up here in a couple of days for you, no? Yeah. Going to get back out to the beach? We went to, yeah, we went to the beach last Friday. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to try all the different beaches. The one we were at um, kind of had a lot of what, crushed shells instead of sand. So we're going to try something more downtown, maybe south of, uh, of St. Augustine, something with some, some more sand where the, uh, the kids can play more and, uh, and not complain that their feet are getting. <laughs> now, the, the portion of the beach, I don't know, can you still drive on a beach in St. Augustine or just in some portions or what? Some portions where you can. And they actually have a, a four-by-four beach where you can take a four-by-four, which is probably not a good thing to take the Honda Pilot on that beach. No, I've made a mistake like that in the past where I took a vehicle that was not equipped with four-by-four and a sign said only four-by-four and I was like... <laughs> That's for those other guys. That's not for me. And sure enough, I had to get a four by four to drag me out of there. <laughs> uh, do you remember what kind of car it was? Oh, yeah. Blue Buick Regal. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we started driving down the beach and all of a sudden it bottomed out and stuck. So the car, the tires could spin, but the car couldn't physically move because the whole bottom had bottomed out. And I was like, oh, my God tell you a funny story about blue Buick Regals. Good. Was it in the mid-90s? Mid to early 90s? 
When, 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 when your situation happened. Oh, no, no. This was just last week. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this is quite a few years ago. Quite a few years ago. I want to say maybe 04, 05. Okay. Okay. The, um, in the early 90s, General Motors with their Buick, Oldsmobile, Chevy, Cadillac, they had this one color blue, a little darker than our color blue. And um, they had the Regal. Buick Regal, which that was, was the color of mine. Yeah, it was very similar to like the Chevy Cutlass or the Oldsmobile Cutlass and the Chevy Lumina, and all these cars looked the same. All these cars were the same color because they shared the color across the spectrum of the of the companies. On vacation, rented a Buick Regal, went to what was MGM Studios at, at Disney World. Then it's now what Hollywood something or other I don't know, and um, parked the car, got out of the car, went for the front gate, went and had a great day. The, my oldest at the time was probably four or five, getting cranky around lunchtime. Figured, okay, let's let's head out of here at lunchtime. And we'll put him down for a nap. We get out to the parking lot, and I look at my ex. I go, "Do you know where we parked? No. <laughs> Do you know what it's like to have a rental car?" Where all the rental cars are blue, Regals, Lumina, nice. and whatever Oldsmobile. It took us 25 minutes to find this car. I bet. Oh, what, and it was like 90 degrees outside, and coming from Jersey, you know, it was we were just dying by the time we found this freaking car, and uh, it, it just it was it was horrible. We're up on I'm standing up on on lamp posts with the the clicker, beep, 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 trying to trying to get the thing to to, to honk. Nice. Nightmare. Nightmare. <laughs> you know, if you if you go to Disney, make sure you know where your car is. Take down your license plate number. Take a picture of it nowadays. And by the way, if you want the best parking in the house at the Magic Kingdom, ask to ask to park in Goofy Five. Goofy Five. Don't don't do that, folks. It's only for those folks that don't know anything. That's the furthest possible parking from the front gate. Okay. I used to tell that to all my great customers. Yeah. <laughs> the Wayne Tourist Cafe. We are out of time already. Do you believe it? Go so quick. I know. I know. Well, maybe we'll add some time or maybe we'll add some shows here in the future. But remember, you can always find us where you find stuff. So if you're listening to us on a platform that you don't normally go to your other platform, we're there. We're practically everywhere. And if we're not, you just send me an email, Mike underscore Safka at bothmikes.com, and I will make sure we're part of that platform. Check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel there as well. I don't know. Am I missing anything? Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Get your mom. Everybody gets one more person to subscribe, listen, follow. Check us out on Facebook. Everybody gets one more person. We'll be up to 10 in no time. Yeah. Yep. I'll buy you an ice cream cone. There you go. There you go. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. We are both mics. Thank you so much. We'll talk with you next time. All right. Bye.